Thank you, Kenny and Nina, for inviting me to speak today. It's always an honor to uh, be at Bioneers. So it is my spiritual mother that I want to dedicate this talk to. Nochi Toyevi Zanu made her transition to the Ancestral Realm Sunday of this week. Nochi is the elder female priest in our lineage, a priest of Yemanya for 44 years. She is one of the first African-Americans to receive the rights of Orisha in the United States. She was sweet. Absolutely, please clap for her. She was sweet, kind, and loving, and she will be missed by all who knew her. I praise my elders because if Nochi and my other elders, Baba Osergeman, Baba Metahochi, Yalosha Shango Aniola, and all the others did not do what they needed to do, I could not be who I am today. If we stand strong, it is because we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. I am indeed standing on strong shoulders. I have always been a person that was concerned about living with purpose. From the time that I was a child, I've always wondered why I was born the person that I am and what was I supposed to do with my life. It has always seemed to me that my life had a purpose, not just one calling, but perhaps several that evolved over time. In this way, my life has always seemed to be reflected in my activism. Over the years, I've tried to follow those callings. This has led me to do different things at different points in my life. For example, I, I led the creation of a women's halfway house called Sister House after my own bout with substance abuse was over. As a younger person, I worked at Operation Push as a youth organizer and got a chance to see how community change actually does occur. None of that, however, is what I was thinking about while I was pregnant with my son, Wade. I would lie awake at night and wonder, what should I do to protect my son? a black male in the United States. You see, where I live, these accidents happen to black boys. They happen to girls too, but I'm gonna focus on boys right now, my son in particular. These accidents that happen, what are they? Well, they accidentally get shot, or they accidentally don't do well in school, or they sometimes accidentally end up in the criminal justice system. Some may say that these things that just happen to black boys happen accidentally on purpose. Whatever the case may be, the issues of race, gender, and class oppression are played out in these accidents that occur. The question still remains, though, what can I do to protect the potential of my son? Now, that may sound like a bizarre question, but for me, it was a question that required serious thought. I had to have a plan of action. I promised myself, whatever that plan of action was, was that I would protect my son's potential with my life. My son's birth was marked by a naming ceremony. His name, Wade Cameron Redmond, he's a child of Obatala. He is named after the oldest male relative on my mother's side of the family. Through consultation with the priest, we found out that Wade needed to avoid what we thought was meat. Since we were breastfeeding and basically vegetarians at that time, that wouldn't have been a problem. What we did not know at the time, though, was that the oracle was trying to tell us something more profound. 
My son was born with severe food allergies. His allergies did not become apparent until he was seven months old. At first, my husband and I noticed a little fussiness after a mealtime, but we dismissed it. One day, when we went out to breakfast, I gave my son a little bit of milk with some cereal. I watched as his face swelled up, his eyes swelled shut, his face filled with tears. He was obviously in pain. But I could not do one thing to make him comfortable. As we raced to the hospital, I began to wonder if my son was going to die. At the hospital, I wanted answers. I wanted to know how did this happen, how could we stop it from happening again, but no answers were readily available. Now, this is where I really kind of rant and rave about the medical community. <laughs> but I'm not. I'm just going to say one thing. <laughs> just one. Doctors are not always the smartest people. They are the people who stay in school the longest. My husband and I would repeat that scenario at least six or seven more times over the next several months, and it was always the same. My son would be exposed to the allergen, the allergic reaction would cause him to wheeze, the wheezing could not be controlled unless we took him to the emergency room, and then my, my son would be hospitalized for at least a week. The last time my son was hospitalized, the medication to control his wheezing was not working fast enough. The doctors transferred my son to an intensive care unit and asked to put my son on a machine that they called a BiPAP. They told me that this machine would help my son continue to breathe in the event that his little lungs decided that they could not continue. I had only one prayer. Sweet Orisha, please, please let my son live. The day that I saw my son on that machine, I made a promise that if he lived, we would never, ever be back there again because I would learn all I could about food. I would learn how to feed my son. As a result of his skin test, we found out that my son was allergic to eggs, all dairy products, peanuts, and shellfish. When we went home, I did what I do best. I read. I read all that I could on food and food production, ecology, and the environment. Eventually, that evolved into a study on land and land stewardship. I read books and essays by Wendell Berry, Michael Abelman, Andrew Pollack. I read the New York Times, Michael Pollan articles. I read about how food was produced. I searched the internet. I constantly stayed on Organic Consumers Association's website. And I have to admit that I watched a lot of food TV, too. But there was something missing. It was the story of my ancestors and their connection to land. What did land mean to them? As the Africans who were brought to this country and made slaves to work the land, surely we have a relationship to it. It, it always trips me out when I'm in meetings at home and I go into a meeting and there's a group of farmers and, and there's no farmers of color and they kind of all turn around and look at me and say, exactly when did you get interested in farming? Our collective memory is way, way too short. 
hungered for the African-American story as it relates to the land and ecology and the environment. Our story is one that must include the trauma that Africans have faced when forced to work the land, and then after being freed, being chased off the land. Outside of a few stories written by Alice Walker and um, Bell Hooks, I couldn't find a thing. Surely, African-Americans have a story to tell about the land. That story remains largely untold, but I have come to realize the story that I have to tell regarding nature is the story as it relates to the Orisha. I connect to nature and the environment through my worship of the African deities. Yet, I still needed a practical way to get food on the table. I decided that I wanted my son to have the best food available. I found out that the best thing for him was to have a diet that, high, that avoided highly processed prepackaged food, basically because it contained one of his allergens. I didn't want our fresh food to be genetically modified. I didn't want pesticide residues in it. I discovered that we could buy organic food. Our meals at home are very simple. They consist of whole fruits, vegetables, grains, fish, chicken, all organic when possible. My journey to feed my son turned into quite a chore though. Pregnant with my second child, I would drive all over the city of Chicago to find organic food. I have found myself in some very interesting places, co-op stores that I never knew existed, um, food that I never knew was available. I found myself in a somewhat expensive national chain store. I think some of you may be familiar with it. It's called Whole Paycheck. <laughs> Living on the west side of Chicago meant leaving my community to get food. Shopping trips for food were expensive in two ways the cost of the food, and the hours that it would take to complete a shopping excursion. I had to search for the simplest items needed for meal preparation. All I wanted was fresh food, produce without harmful pesticides, meat without antibiotics. And then it dawned on me that it wouldn't be such a bad idea if I could buy this food closer to my home. But I realized, of course, that I couldn't buy any food really close to my home, let alone healthy food close to my home. So the community organizer in me wanted to learn more about the organic food movement. I began attending local organizing meetings. Most times, I was the only person of color in the room. I would raise issues about food access and food security, and the conversation would immediately turn to one about using food stamps and food pantries. Some folks would suggest that, well, People in your neighborhood don't buy organic food, do they? Some folks would comment, well, we could come and teach people over there about growing food and gardening. Do you think that would help? As if the only way that black people could afford food is if somebody gave it to them, not realizing that African Americans come from the South, where most of them grew up on farms, this was quite funny to me. Generally, my neighbors are one generation away from farms in the South. They grew food organically, not because it was a niche market, but because that was the only way they could grow food. They couldn't afford fertilizers or pesticides. So many of them left a life in the South to come to the North because they thought that their life would be better, unbeknownst to them. 
it would necessarily be better. Too often the food access issue was treated as if it's some sort of social service issue, one that could be solved by government programs or food donations. But yet in my neighborhood, I can buy designer gym shoes, every kind of fast food, every kind of junk food, all kinds of malt liquor, illegal drugs, and maybe even a semi-automatic weapon. But I cannot purchase an organic tomato. When other communities are considered, the same food access issue is looked upon as a profitable business opportunity. If we are truly going to develop sustainable food systems, then everyone must be included as a potential end user of that system. If we want sustainable communities, then we must talk to everyone about how that will occur. <laughs> Diversity is critical to sustainability. Cultural diversity is crucial to the sustainable agriculture movement, yet we must remember that diversity is about much more than race and ethnicity. It is about class, sexuality, and gender. Sustainable food is for everyone. We need, we need to build a coalition of people concerned about communities of color and food systems. I'm tired of asking for space to be heard. I'm honored to be invited to be heard at Bioneers. But you probably know by now that I figured that if we just start talking, then some people will be listening and we will be heard. But we have to come together and develop a policy analysis and action plans that are reflective of the concerns of communities of color this will impact the economic, social, and environmental needs of our communities. At this point, access to organic food is not the focal point of my activism. I believe that food must come from local sources. Pesticides and fertilizers are important considerations, but as long as organic food is priced only for wealthy people, it just isn't a viable solution for the health needs of my community. We are working to develop local solutions to the issue of local food access. To achieve that end, my husband and I formed a nonprofit organization and we um, obtained several vacant lots, converted those lots to urban farm sites, and we hire people from the community to work on those sites. We have a group of partners called the Chicago Food Systems Collaborative, and we are building a grocery store that will provide access to food in our community. But you know, we want to get even closer to the community. See, I want to have something uh, where we grow and prepare food and folks come by and they eat the food and then we can have a practical conversation about the food system. Key to that activity is the people who actually would sit around the table and enjoy a meal together. Certainly, there would be people there in my community um, but it would be people like you as well in my community eating together and talking together about the solutions that we need to create for all of our communities. There is a, a sister here, Tiffany, she does something like that. She calls it Sankofa's Kitchen. 
Sankofa Kitchen suggests that it's a return to the ancestral kitchen, she's absolutely correct. We have to return to our ancestral roots in order to feed ourselves. When we expand the dialogue and the sustainability movement, all the stories can be told. The undocumented Im immigrants, the folks that are really growing our food, the black farmers who still can't get the money from the USDA, and the urban farmers, the new breed of farmers in this country. This perspective is different from the ones that I've heard um, in the sustainable ag meetings that I've been attending. In closing, before my son was born, I really have to tell you that I didn't care where food came from. I didn't care where it was grown or who grew it. My son's illness has given me an awareness that I'm sure I would not have had without him. My son is teaching me that protecting his potential means that I must protect and nurture my own. I'm gonna show you a short video and this will tell you a little bit more about our work. The genesis of the project was actually my son and uh, realizing that he had food allergies at a very early age. So I underwent this food education uh, because of my son's food allergies and decided that uh, we needed to access healthy food to make a child healthy. It's not quite possible to do that in this particular community. You have to travel significant distances in order to access the healthiest kind of food available. If we were thinking about um, food access from the standpoint of social service, we would end up with a food pantry. But we're talking about food access from the standpoint of developing our community economically, so we're talking about grocery stores, and we're talking about jobs, and we're talking about education. This project gives us an opportunity to open people's minds a little bit to what the capacity of an African-American community is beyond social service and a glass. It's not some black hole of crime and drugs, but it's a neighborhood filled with people who work for a living, who own their homes, who buy cars, who send their kids to college. Not any different than anywhere else, but they don't have a grocery store. Right now, we have a retail space at the Garfield Market and we're able to sell fresh fruits and vegetables that are organically grown um, to the residents of this community. We've converted six vacant lots to urban farm sites. We've supported an Austin farmer's market. We um, partnered with a farm and had a CSA project. And now we're here, we're in the community. Community residents come here to buy their food. They're buying organic food. I don't want another woman in the city of Chicago to have to go through what I went through to feed her child. If all you want is to feed your son or feed your daughter or your children, this is the place for you. Thank you.